Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. Whether you are uh, live or live streaming, I'm Talbot Davis. I'm the pastor here. Always glad to be able to connect back with you when you have engaged with us. And this is the first Sunday of a three-week series called The Sweet 16th. And uh, as some of you know, others of you may not know, uh, either way is okay. We talk a lot in this place that the Bible is not a book, but it is a library. And like any good library or any bookstore, and if you're under 25, a bookstore was, had bricks and walls and roof and were used to go buy books there. But like any library or bookstore, the biblical library has a music section, a songbook. And the songbook is the book of Psalms. There are 150 of them. For this three-week series, we're going to be parking in Psalm number 16. And uh, what we're going to do, we're actually going to start a little bit unusual for how we do things at Good Shepherd. I'm going to invite you to rise on your feet as you're able. And up on the screen, we're going to have the words to Psalm 16. And we're rising on your feet uh, out of respect and reverence for the scripture. But we are going to read these words out loud and together from Psalm 16. And if you have your Bible with you, and anytime you, you notice the words like joy, rejoice, delight, pleasure, secure, any of these good words, go ahead and circle that in your Bible. Or if you're just reading off the screen in your mind, ah, I noticed that. And uh, so we're going to do this today. A little spoiler alert. We might just do this all three weeks of this here series, the Sweet 16th. So here we go. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, and my body will also rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And the grass withers, and the flower fades but the word of the Lord endures forever. Before you have a seat, I'm just going to pray that God will add his blessing for this marriage. God, thank for this message. God, and the marriage too, as long as we're at it. But. <laughs> so Father, thank you. <laughs> it was contagious this morning, I guess. Father, thank you for the goodness of your word. And thank you that we can dive into Psalm 16. And I, Lord, I just pray that uh, in my powerlessness... Everybody here would know that you are filled with helpfulness and that the goodness and the joy and the delight that just oozes out of Psalm 16 would surround everyone within the sound of my voice. 
So it's unmistakable how good life is with you. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. And so here's, a, here's how we landed at the, the sweet 16th. Uh, and I don't often do, I don't often tell you, well, here's how a series started, but here's how we landed at the Sweet 16th. On uh, weekends, Saturday and Sunday, I always start out the morning because I'm not doing Come Alive Daily on the weekends. And, and if you don't know what Come Alive Daily is, wait a few minutes, I'll tell you about it, give you an opportunity to, to sign up. But when I'm not doing that on the weekends, I always read the Psalms, just a Psalm a morning. And I was going along, just minding my own business one Saturday, reading a, a psalm, and I came across Psalm 16. Now, you need to know that Psalm 16 is an afterthought. It's an also-ran. I mean, it's so not famous that it's not even famous enough to be a Johnny-come-lately in the book of Psalms. Like, when you think about the 150 Psalms, Everybody knows, religious or not, everybody knows Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. They, everybody knows that because it's perfect. And because anytime in television or movies they have a funeral, somebody's up there reading from Psalm 23. So everybody knows that one. A whole lot of people who were kind of part of church life in the 90s, they remember Psalm 100, I will enter his, court, court, his gates with thanksgiving, I will enter his courts with praise. And some of you are so scared I'm going to sing that right now, but I'm not. So some people know Psalm 100. A few people, kind of Bible nerdy types, they might know Psalm 119 because it's like really long. And, and, then, and then maybe a few more people know Psalm 121 because it's really soothing and because Billy Graham had his memoir or his biopic or all of it named out, I lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. So those are sort of the, the, the top notch, the upper, Casey Kasem's top hits of the 100, and I'll explain Casey Kasem to you later, uh, of the 150 Psalms. But, but Psalm 16 is like riding the bench. It's a middle child. It's over, sorry about that. It's, 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 I'm not going to get through this today. It is, Psalm 16 is overlooked and underappreciated, especially by me, until that one Saturday when I was doing my psalm a day on the weekend, and I was absolutely stunned. I mean, like gobsmacked with, with how good it is and, and overwhelmed with the kind of joy it contains. I mean, I asked you, those of you who have your Bibles with you to circle, and if you don't, to circle in your mind, I asked you to circle all the delights and all the joys and all the pleasures and all the rejoicing. And, and when you knew what to look for, I know it just leaped off the page or leaped off the screen right into you. And, and it's so clear from the vibe of this this is no ordinary psalm at all. It really is the sweetest of the sweet, the sweet 16th. And, and when you think about the vibe that, 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 I mean, it's a really good psalm, but the life that it promises is even better than the goodness of the psalm. And, and, and when you think about the vibe that, that it creates and, and the, the mood that you, you get from it, it's like, come on, who doesn't need that? 
Who doesn't need more of that? Because I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but the world is sort of divided into two groups of people. People who endure life and people who enjoy it. And you can tell the difference really at a moment's notice because people who endure life, they kind of have that hang dog look and you ask them how they're doing and you're really scared to ask them how they're doing because you know that you just lost 10 minutes of your life and never getting back to <laughs> all the things that are going wrong. And even if they're in a good mood, they're like, well, I can't complain. And inside you're like, but if you could, you would. And then people who enjoy life, they're so different. Instead of having a knack for finding out what's good and focusing on, or finding out what's bad and dwelling on that, they, people who enjoy life, they, they see what is good, they know what's good, and they really lean into that. They're the kind of people who are, I don't know, bubbly and cheerful, and they smile. And, and, and the thing is, when you talk about endure life and enjoy life, you see these kinds of people in every realm of existence, maybe most, especially most acutely in church. That's why I love this that, that I came across. Listen, or you can read along. It's going to be up on the screen. Two guys at church. Jim Smith went to church on a Sunday. He heard the bass player miss a note during the opening song. He saw a teenager talking when everyone was supposed to be bowed in prayer. He thought the usher watched him too closely when they passed the offering place. That's how you know this happened at a different church. He, he counted five verbal slips of the tongue during the sermon. That's how you might think it's this one. He, he left during the last song and he vowed never again. They're hypocrites and incompetents. Ron Jones went to church on Sunday morning. He couldn't get over how powerfully the band led the church in the first song. He thought the host was honest and was startled at how many young people attended. He was glad to hear how much money the church gives away. He appreciated the sermon as it answered a question that had bothered him for a long time. And as he left the church, he thought, how can you come here and not feel the presence of God? Both men went to the same church on Sunday morning. Each found what he was looking for. Hallelujah and amen. People who endure life, people who enjoy life. And I'm not going to try and shade the truth today. I, I want that as a result of this message, everyone within the sound of my voice moves from endurers to enjoyers, from column A to column B, and not to overpromise myself and to underdeliver, not to promise the moon and, and give you a stone, but I actually believe that when we zero down into, drill down into one verse, because we got three weeks for the whole psalm, but when we look at one verse today, it's really going to unlock the key for how you and how you and how I and how all of us can move away from people who just tolerate life to people who actually delight in life. And that one verse is verse two. Take a look at Psalm 16, verse two. It says this, I, and the I here, you may not know this. The I is David, King David, the same one with Goliath and Bathsheba. And he grows up to be a songwriter. This is probably 1,000, 1,100 BC. 
He says this, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Huh. Apart from you. You know what that means? That's, that's David's voice of experience here. It's David saying, I, I know what it's like to live life apart from you. And nothing good came from it. And some of you may know exactly what that is like. That for some of you, you're, you're apart from God. Time in your life came way before you ever said yes to Jesus. And you learned the hard way that all those wild oats you sowed end up growing up into poison and into toxin. Or you learned the hard way that all those things you spent so much time and so much energy chasing after without God in the picture, without God in the equation, all those things proved hollow and empty in the end. You're, you're apart from God time. It came when, when you were the boss, you were calling your own shots. You defined what was good and you defined what wasn't. And then for others of you, your apart from God time came came. After you'd said yes to Jesus. Yeah. You, you said yes to Jesus. You became a Christian. You got baptized. You drank the Kool-Aid. And then, and then the things of earth stopped growing strangely dim. And they started becoming perversely attractive. And it's why you chased that job, and it's why you ran after her. It's why you moved in with him. It's why you hoarded that money. It's why you hated that group of people. It's why you started all those conflicts. And yeah, you're apart from God time. It led the same hollow empty, desolate place as it did for the people who had never said yes to Jesus. Only for you, the pain is slightly more acute because you knew better. You, you had Jesus and then you decided that you knew, but you decided you were, you were tired of having him define your life and you wanted to self-define it and it got you nowhere. Which is kind of what verse two said. Look, apart from you, what does it say next? I have no good thing. That, that means that, a, that apart from the Lord, you have a lot of not good things. And again, some of you know this from experience. You had that apart from God time, either before you came to faith or after you came to faith. And, and the not good thing list that you have, it's long and it's painful. It's the, it has the DUIs. And the STDs and the broken relationships and the busted bank accounts. And you know all too painfully exactly what David is talking about here. Yeah, looking, looking deeply in the lines of Psalm 16, verse 2 is fertile, fertile territory indeed. And yet by the time that David sits down to write this masterpiece of Psalm 16, he's moved through that season of his life. He's looking back on that through his rearview mirror, not, not looking into it through his windshield. 
And he is instead writing from experience because he now knows something much, much different. Because look again one more time at how this verse begins. Verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Oh, oh my gosh. Do you see the subtle shift in language that means everything? I say to the God of the universe, I say to the Lord, you are now my Lord. I am so tired of living my life apart from you and away from you, and I've seen where all that gets me, and I am now willing, ready, and able to surrender completely and comprehensively to you and to your lordship. I've stopped trying to define what is right in my life, and I'm going to let you do it from now on. You are good, and you are Lord. You see, good shepherd. That when you look at Psalm 16, there is absolutely no distinction between Lord and good. That one defines the other. That you can never, everybody say never. You can never know what is good until you know who is Lord. And, and so the, the genius way that Psalm 16 gets written, David puts that unmistakably. Yeah, he's, he's writing from experience. He knows what it means to be hollow and jaded and empty. He knows what it means to chase after all the wrong things, the things that look so good and prove to be toxic. He even knows, he even knows what it's like to take one good thing and make that the only thing. And he knows the horror that results from that. And so here's what I want you to know when you recognize the genius that, that it begins, that you can't know what's good until you know who is Lord. Here's what I want you to know, good shepherd. Every one of you, which I pray is all of you, who wants to move from enduring life to actually enjoying life, it's this, Jesus redefines your good so you will rediscover his joy. That, that when, when he is Lord, comprehensively Lord, he not only alters your definition of what is good and what is not, but in, in an even greater way, he, re, he allows you to rediscover what he means for you to have joy. You don't just read Psalm 16, you actually live Psalm 16. I think that Jesus will, allows you to take, will allow you to take deeper joy in better things. You'll stop chasing after what's phony and fake and overpromises and underdelivers, and you will begin pursuing that which is real and that which is last and that which can never be taken away. Jesus redefines your good. So you'll rediscover his joy. Man, my, uh, my, my things that I chase after almost always have to do with awards and acclaim and recognition. And, and I used to think it was normal. I used to think that everybody was wired that way. And then I realized, no, you're just kind of sick. That it's this, it's this combination of internal wiring and definitely how I was raised in my household. And anyway, with that sort of a, as a baseline that, you know, my goal in life is awards and recognition and honor. And a lot of you know that I grew up playing tennis, competitive tennis in Texas. And and so when I was 18, there was this award that they would give every year to like the primo 18-year-old in Texas tennis. And, and it wasn't a, a match you would win on the court. It was an award they would give off the court. And, 
And I just really wanted that award. And I was sure that I deserved that award. I was sure that I was going to win that award. And that award would be like the crowning achievement of my 18-year-old life. I didn't win it. And when I didn't win it, because this was my reason for living, when I did not win it, I, I got bitter and I got disappointed or I got disappointed and I got bitter and whatever combination of sort of toxic poisonous emotions. And that went on for like years. Speaking of years, fast forward from when I'm 18 to 40. And someone at nine o'clock thought that I was saying I was 40 now. And... <laughs> See, they laugh then as if that's, everybody knows I'm 42. And so when, when I was 40, there was, there's an award in, in ministry, Methodist ministry. And, and for years I was sure, oh, whew, if I ever win that award, I will be the cat's meow. That the rest of ministry will be on easy street. I can retire early. You just can't do any better than winning that award. Well, guess what? I won it. Guess what? The result, hollow. Nah. All, all kinds of mixed emotions, just all kind of bleh. Why? I was putting all my energy into chasing all the wrong things. And every time I get like that, whether I'm 18 or 40 or 60, every time that I get like that, God is like, why do you spend so much time and so much energy trying to put trophies in your case and you forget that you are the trophy in mine? And when I realize that and when I surrender to that, then I know what it means to have Jesus redefine your good so that you will rediscover his joy See, to me, this is so much like what they have in children's hospitals. And, and, you know, children's hospitals are heavy places. Some of you have been there, and there's wires and tests and anxiety and lab coats, just heavy, heavy places. And yet, what do they have a, a, a penchant for doing in children's hospitals? The, they put playgrounds there, indoor playgrounds in the children's hospital, filled with bright colors and and uh, playground equipment for children kind of of all ages. And really, like they have put an oasis of joy in the middle of this desert of stress. And that's what God does. That God doesn't try to pretend life is easy. God knows that, that life will, in fact, have, be a desert of stress. But he puts a, when he's Lord, not when he's not Lord, but when he is Lord, he puts an oasis of joy in your life and in my life. Jesus redefines your good so that you will rediscover his joy. And I just want all of you, stop running after the phony and start, start being chased down by what's real. And how is it? How is it that Jesus redefines your good? It's when if you're a married person. You're able to look in the mirror and you're able to say, I, I stayed faithful. I was content with who I have and I didn't run after him and I didn't chase after her, even though it looked delicious. And I stayed faithful and it's good.
Or how does he redefine what is good? It's when you recognize that the best check in your life is not the one you deposited, it's the one you wrote. And that the one you wrote allowed you to partner with God in doing kingdom kind of work. And, and you were able to realize, ah, yeah, why should I spend so much time counting up my possessions when I can celebrate that I am his possession in the first place? That's how he redefines your good. How does he redefine what's good? It's when you look in the mirror and you realize the best thing about my life is that I am bought, that Jesus' perfect blood purchased me, and that's the truest thing about my identity, and the deepest truth about my life is that I am desperate for Jesus and dependent upon Jesus for every single good thing. That's how he redefines what's good. he redefine what's good it's when you recognize that the best thing that can ever happen in your church is not when you have a great worship song or a stirring sermon or even a glorious building but it's when people stand up and say yes to Jesus as Lord and as Savior that's how he redefines your good and how does he redefine your good? It's when you climb into bed at night and you do a searching and a fearless moral inventory over your day. And you realize that you didn't yell at your mate and you didn't kick your dog. And that because Jesus has been Lord all day long, you didn't waste a moment. You didn't waste a moment running after things that are ultimately futile. But instead, because he was Lord all day long, you allowed him to redefine what was good so you could rediscover his joy. And you can't wait to get up in the morning and do it all over again. That's how he redefines your good. And my good, you stop chasing the fake and you start loving the real. Let's pray. So God, for everyone within the sound of my voice, would you redefine what they have decided is good so that all our understanding of what is good is surrendered to you as Lord, every bit of it. Be pleased with our worship in these moments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we knew that after a talk like this, we'd, we'd have the privilege. We wouldn't have to. We'd have the privilege of celebrating communion. Because what is communion if, if not running away from what's fake and into what's real? We get to taste and see that the Lord is good. And the origins of communion are that on the Thursday night before Jesus was crucified on Good Friday, he had dinner with his closest followers, and as dinner began, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you gather, do this and remember me. And in the same way, after dinner, he took the cup and he raised it. 
And he said to his followers, this is my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins as often as you gather together, do this, remember me. And so today we get to taste and see that the Lord is good. Communion is a memory we can taste. And so anytime churches all around the world celebrate Holy Communion, there's that moment where the church prays that the Holy Spirit will take the bread and the cup and the community and craft them all into the body of Christ. And so rather than me doing it here as like the preacher, we all do it together at Good Shepherd. So would you point your palms towards this bread and towards this cup and we'll pray. So God, take the bread and take the cup and make them be for us along with this gathered community, the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.